Welcome to Bulls in the Game, a podcast dedicated to the Premier League, the A-League and more. Today on the show, we review the A-League season, uh, what feels like, boys, the longest season uh, we've seen in quite some time. Uh, last week, we saw the A-League season come to a close with Sydney edging an extra time 1-0 win over Melbourne City, knee heart, to secure a record fifth asterisk A-League championship. Uh, now, onto the game itself, though. A few quick talking points before we get into the reviews, boys. Uh Tommy, talk to us about Melbourne City's performance. Um, despite their loss, have they shaken off their choker slash downhill skier tag? Or is winning trophies all that matters? Yeah, there was there was a plenty of talk in the in the aftermath of the game that they haven't shaken that um, that sort of chokers tag. But I mean, let's not forget that this is Sydney FC, who have been the dominant team for at least the last two years in the A League by a long, long way, and they stuck with them for um, you could argue for over ninety minutes. And uh, yeah, they couldn't break them down, and they had sort of the the golden boot um, in the in the league, um, but. Uh, yeah, ultimately, I think they, they put on a good show of themselves and um, would be disappointed, I think, that they didn't get the win, but just sort of came off second best on the day, I think. And, and I should say, I should say, listeners, I'm Colby. I'm joined by Tommy and Jesse today to review, <laughs> review the A-League. I've just dived into it too quick, just too, too quickly coming out of the gates. But um, Jesse, what did you make of the final? Yeah, well, I'd just, like to, to, uh, I'd just like to note there, Tommy, that I'll be previewing Sydney FC or reviewing <laughs> Sydney FC later on. Um, thanks, mate. So just back off there. But uh, going back to the game, um, I think, you know, I think we were all living vicariously through um, Melbourne Heart. Sorry, I mean Melbourne City. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was just a bit, you know, a bit of a gutting one because... Uh, I think a lot of us just wanted to see uh, Sydney slip at the final hurdle because, I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things, right? It's it's sort of almost flattering for Sydney FC that everybody wants them to lose because it just shows you how good they are. And um, we did mention it is a it is a, a record um, A League championship for Sydney FC. And um, before the final, we were we were talking to uh, listeners on Twitter and Facebook uh, and Reddit too, actually, uh, about which trophy uh, the listeners thought uh, was more important: uh, a championship that the A League Premiership or the minor Premiership, as some know it, or the FFA Cup, which is um, you know gaining increasing momentum as the seasons go by. And and there were some pretty strong views expressed, and everybody who who expressed a view couldn't believe that anybody else could hold a different view. Jesse, where do you That's where do you unlike land? soccer Twitter is it? <laughs> where, where do you land on this, Jesse? What 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 trophy is, is most important to you? This is the biggest head fuck for me because the tra- the traditionalist in me is always about the league title. So, and that you'd think it'd be the premiership plate, but then at the same time, when it goes to finals, I mean, like who's actually really thinking about that once you get into the semis and then the grand final? I mean, everyone's going to be talking about the season about Sydney FC winning the grand final. So it just it just does my head in because I think if the, if the league was going along the EPL format, then I'd definitely be a at most points by the end of the season guy. But I also understand that the A-League's a different product. So I, I kind of just find this a bit of a head fuck for myself. Tommy, what about you, mate? Where where do you fall on in this debate? Yeah, I think if you if you're an Adelaide or a Sevilla fan, I think you you, you think that winning a trophy is all that matters, regardless of, of what it is. Um, but I think uh, like each have their own sort of uh, like unique 
uh, place in, in Australian football. You've got like the um, you've got the the premiership, the or the minor premiership, um, which is probably the most satisfying trophy, I think, knowing that you were the best team over the the length of the season. You've got um, the the championship, the grand final winner, which means that which is probably sorry that is probably the most um, emotional uh, of of the the three because it's uh, it's sort of like a lot of people see it as the pinnacle, but it's it's sort of the the ultimate or the final game of the season, and so it sort of all builds towards that. And then you've got the FFA Cup final, which um, I guess um, whilst not having sort of the glamour of the other two, um, it, it still means that you you were the last one standing in that particular competition. So I don't think like anyone should be be, be sneezing at, at that particular competition because you still want it. You still want to refer to the FFA Cup as the uh, medium sized kahuna last week, I, I believe. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, and I think a lot of the things that people were saying about the FFA Cup is it sort of depends on where it sits in the season too as to how people think about it. Um, at the moment, it's sort of this pre-season competition and it's sort of viewed as such, but I think if it was a post-season competition or it was played throughout the season, it, it might um, it might hold a little bit more weight in, in some people's opinions. But I think, yeah, at the end of the day, it's it's whatever you it's whatever is remembered at the end of the season, I think, is which inevitably is, is the most important. Um, you, you look back over the years and, and people don't tend to remember the, the minor premiers or the, or the premiers uh, of the A-League. They remember who won the grand final. Um, there are some extenuating circumstances where, like, you know, we'll remember at least last season, might be a bit of recency bias, but we remember Perth being probably the best um, team in the A-League, winning the minor premiership and, and coming close in the finals to Sydney FC but uh, yeah I think it's 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 really the the championship for Australian football and, and will be unless um, something dramatic changes in the meantime uh, now onto the season itself uh, boys the the 2019-20 A-League season is one that will live long in the memory um, a, a lot of things this this season will be remembered for firstly um, it was the first season um, in transition away from the FFA running the league the new independent A-League um, which you might remember uh, kicked off with the million-dollar marketing budget, which seemed to produce <laughs> uh, memes, which were already being generated by fans for free. Uh, one ad made by a first-year RMIT graphic design student, and um, not much else. Did you notice anything else uh, about this independent A-League or semi-independent A-League this season, Tommy? No, nah, and I, I think semi-independence is is probably the the key part of this because I think as, as far as I understand that the transition is still ongoing, like it hasn't fully transitioned to a, a fully independent A League, and I think um, maybe some of the problems with with this season, not notwithstanding the the, the coronavirus stuff, um, I think the the transition is contributing contributing to to some of the problems we're facing at the moment with the league. Um, I, I think. Uh, uh, hopefully, um, next season we're likely to see uh, the transition completed before the season starts, um, and and that I think can only be a good thing for the league that it, that it sorts out it sorts out its own identity issues. Then, of course, uh, yeah, we did have the the coronavirus hit, and the season was stopped and went into lockdown. We thought that it might not restart, um, but we did see it restart. The league got back up and going, and then there was a, a foreign player and management. Uh, Exodus, uh, managers and foreign players left en masse. We had Toivonen, Soseta, uh, uh, Carlos Salvatore, Robbie Fowler, and, and many, many others uh, depart the league uh, to go back home and be with their families and not return uh, when the league resumed. 
Um, and, and this sort of led to um, a, a bit of a broadcast rights dispute that had been bubbling away over the years. Um, the inability to broadcast games led Fox to opportunistically look to renegotiate the terms of their broadcast deal, which was already, you know, it was it was already pretty unhappy with the terms of it, um, given that, um, in their view, the A-League wasn't really delivering after years of investment with little return. And then um, this all led to um, the, um, the decision to... Um, sort of move the league to winter going forward. Um, the long-touted switch from summer to winter um, was was sort of trialled. We had it. We had a trial of it in this post-lockdown period, and um, it was quickly decided that the next couple of seasons would take place in the winter. Boys, what what have you made of all, all of this stuff that's gone on um, during the re- restart and as a result of the coronavirus pandemic? Because um, I guess you covered a couple of points there. The first one being the image of the the league um, and how Fox has sort of interpreted its its ratings and how they sort of see success um i i sort of have a, a wider opinion on the a-league where um we were kind of talking the other day about the amount of memes and the sort of jokes that come out of it but for me my concern is that that kind of is reflected in the way that people um watch the league as they they kind of don't take it that seriously amongst uh, other sports here which people take super seriously so um i'd like to see some uh some movement in that space which makes this a, a more credible and serious league and i know that often the first step people talk about is promotion relegation but that's a, a conversation for another pod but there's a few things that i think um in this the, the the choice to go to winter um i'm actually a supporter of that because um i like the alignment between the seasons particularly with clubs um and the region so if we were all playing football right now um, in our own regions, then you'd be kind of marrying up with the season of the A-League. And I think that's important for junior players. I think people kind of have been like pretty blasé about it and saying, oh, if it's in the summer, it's still fine. The kids will still watch it. But the truth is in the summer, the cricket's on, the temperatures are high. Sometimes the product's not as good. And the bottom line is, is that you want to be able to go to a kid's game at 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning on Saturday and then be able to take them to a victory game or something in the evening. You know, you, you don't want to be in a position where um you have to sort of g them up each season to try and otherwise you're looking for for a full year of football and that's just not going to um, be sustainable so i'm a supporter of the winter switch and i think it, it football has to be brave and go up against the other codes because if it wants to go forward it's just going to have to be brave and, and and go for it that's my opinion colby i, I thought um it was really hard to watch um the a-league sort of Getting bent over a barrel a little bit by by Fox and be in such a weak negotiating position that was that was really hard and really really painful to watch because uh, I mean like the the three of us we follow the A League really closely and like it's it's a part of our week it's a part of our lives um, but it was it, it was it was hard to watch that it was painful to watch I was. Um, a bit disappointed, I guess, to to see how it sort of all panned out. Um, I guess as a result of that that poor negotiating position. Um, but look, it was just just fantastic, I guess, that the league was able to resume even even under sort of weakened uh, financial considerations. Um, in terms of like the the switch to winter, I am. I'm really conflicted about whether or not it's a it's a good move or not. I think um, the Big Bash and uh, is going to be uh, struggling a little bit now after coming off of a bit of a peak in the last few years. Um, I, I think Cricket Australia they're having their own challenges with broadcast rights at the moment and trying to get money out of uh, broadcasters, especially with um, potentially less uh, international superstars coming to uh, the Big Bash this uh, this upcoming summer. So um, it, it may have actually been a, a good time to go up against cricket. Um, but in terms of uh, the the on the field playing quality, I, I thought um, the the 
the quality on on the field after the restart uh, i think it was it was oversold the improvement in the quality um and i think that was that was a little bit painful to hear like some people will say whenever something good happened that oh yeah geez look how much better the quality is when uh when just because it's colder and it's like well look there there are bursts of quality that happen even in summer and, and we did see some some tough patches when it was particularly hot um but to, to blame anything good um, that happened on the pitch after lockdown on cooler weather, I thought was a bit disingenuous. There was a lot of projection onto that, I think, and, I, and I'm sure I'm sure that you know the the, um, the the data and the science will 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 and does stack up, and you know in a, in a full season in winter, because don't forget this was after a big break because of the coronavirus, so the players probably weren't in peak condition, etc. But you know I'm sure, yeah, in general the switch to winter will generate um, you know higher higher quality football. But yeah, I totally totally agree that um, people just sort of projecting all of their hopes and desires onto this and just any, anything good that happened was because of this is, is a bit of a joke as well. Um, but um, to, Tommy, what else is this season going to be remembered for? Look, there's there's been plenty of um, plenty of exciting moments. Like it, it's been really great to have a, another addition to the league in uh, in Western United. Um, they were something new, something different, and uh, I guess with that extra team, we saw more younger players or players from NPL getting a, a shot either with Western United or just with other clubs because um, they previously they, there wasn't necessarily space for them uh, in, in uh, with only 10, 10 teams in the in the league. So um, so that's been good seeing some some new players. Um, in the league, I've really enjoyed that. Um, and and look, there's there's been plenty of of. Uh this is this is maybe a good chance for me to, to dive into moment of the season. Is is that where you're angling me towards? Mate, take take it away. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, look, uh, the, some of us went down for Western United's first home game down at Geelong, and and that, and that was a lot of fun. Just seeing, uh, I guess, something's uh, a, a brand new A League club and their um, their take on how to do a match day. Um, while some things work, some things didn't. Um, it was still great just to see something, I guess, exciting and, and the birth of something in the A League. I, I found that really fun. Foundation member. <laughs> <laughs> I've even got the flag still from from having attended the first game. I was I was waving that around like a bloody ten year old. <laughs> we we built this club, boys. Um, <laughs> uh, we we asked we asked listeners uh, on Twitter and Facebook uh, what stood out to them, what their moments of the season were, and what uh, they thought the season would be remembered for. I uh, had a comment from the world according to Australian football on Twitter saying coaches taking massive swipes at the league weeks after getting the boot is one thing that the uh, the league will be remembered for, and we did we did have that. With um, the the most notable of those being Marcus Babel, sort of, um, you know, leaving the club, putting out this big video to the club, saying how much he loved them and how how great Western Sydney were, only to appear on German television weeks later and, um, you know, just absolutely tear strips off the A League and just say how shit it was was it was pretty embarrassing. Um, and you know, particularly uh, because he's got a Western Sydney tattoo on his arm and. <laughs> It's just completely, it's completely mind-boggling how he thought that that wouldn't come back to the A League if he thought that at all. Do, do you reckon um, uh, Marcus Babel is the kind of guy that like says, says "I love you" on the second date, and then then like post revenge porn, like after you break after he breaks <laughs> up with someone? Some, some real, um, real black merit areas there, Tommy. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, I know. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, we've kind of jumped into the sort of um, one of, I guess you could say, definitely one of the own goals of the season because not just Babel, but you've got Fowler in that category. Uh, Colps, but um, if we can just take a step back to uh, a great moment in the season for me, um, 
uh, it was, I was going to mention it later on, but just, but just the Matt Simon um, uh, performance against um, Melbourne Victory. I mean, it's, if you want drama, um, two penalties and extra time and, and him jumping the fence and taking his shirt off, I mean, it had to be up there as one of the most memorable games of the season, and, and I really enjoyed that one. Well, the Mariners had two of those games, right, where they, they got a late win over the victory, Both. like with uh, Dylan Ruiz-Diaz. He, he got uh, two two late goals as well in very, very similar Same fashion. Same score, 3-2 um, each time. Yeah. yeah. Do you think these kind of moments um, really intermittently reinforce the Mariners fans? Like, they don't have much to hang their hats on, um, but nights like this at, at Gosford would be something that surely the fans would go, oh, do I, do I put that, do I you know, get one more membership. Is next season going to be the season where it all turns around for us? And they, they see these nights and, and maybe they think, yeah, okay, all right, I won't I won't leave the club just yet. Boys, I, I know you're both uh, Liverpool fans, but as a West Ham fan, like you live for uh, and a team, a, a, someone who supports like a, a club that doesn't have a lot of success, you live for nights like that where like a big successful team rocks up thinking they're going to absolutely steamroll you and you just completely shithouse it. I, I reckon Mariners fans would have absolutely loved those moments. Okay, we had some. We also had some listener moments of the season as well. A League memes on Facebook writes: uh, Castro high fiving Brimmer while he's praying uh, was was a moment of the season for them. Um, Daniel uh, Fimfasane on Twitter uh, just basically replied with a picture of Rodan uh, walking past their um, one one thief three traders sign at the Woos first game in Wellington of that season, <laughs> which was a uh, you know that'll that'll go down in the memory as a pretty iconic uh, A League moment. Arnab on Facebook writes uh, the Louis Fenton interview, closely followed by the sauce bottles going down at Gosford, and the Ladies League on Twitter writes. Georgievsky getting left behind by the team bus after a woo game, one of their moments of the season. So uh, a, a lot of a lot of great moments um, that the, the league has given us this season, boys. Didn't even touch my fucking arm. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And we haven't, even, and that's not even to mention Archie two footing a kid either. So I mean, that's uh, th- th- you know every it's it's the league that just keeps on giving. And and speaking of the league keeping on giving let's let's talk about a few uh, own goals uh, jesse you, you touched on a couple before but what what was the sort of own goal of the season for you oh man like they just the yeah they just blend into um uh, each other to be honest um i think uh fowler uh, and his antics on twitter was a yeah we, we've already covered it a few times on different pods but for me and as we've talked about before cole we've been a liverpool fan it's just it was pretty shit to see um, you know, in multiple levels, it was shit to see. Um, first and foremost, the the treatment um, he was dishing out uh, on the fan because it was just completely and utterly out of line. But it was also just shit to see someone who should be, uh, it should know better, should be um, more respectful, um, behaving like that. And particularly, um, particularly just how sort of um, you know how someone can be in such a sort of esteemed position um, because you know being a manager of a, an A-league club should be an honor for anybody in the league doesn't matter what level you're playing you're still a manager of a football club so the fact that you can sort of just uh, up and leave after treating some of the fans like that and then just sort of you know not even look back at your legacy as anything to, to make be noteworthy um, I just think that's it's 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 sort of really tarred my opinion of him, which is it's a bit sad, really, because he's he's one of the Liverpool legends. But uh, yeah, that's the situation we find ourselves in after his legacy. 
And the worst part about it was that he didn't even like he didn't even have to do that. I mean, at that time, things were a bit tense. Some of the results were going the Raw's way. Some of them weren't. But, um, you know, he, things were starting to turn around. Like, the team looked in pretty solid shape. Yeah, there were a few, a few tense results. But, like, he was in a really great position to, to go on and have a really successful season. At that point, he was being a little bit abrasive to, to some people in the media. But, you know, by and large, the media was still sort of frothing him and, and giving him quite favorable treatment. It, it was just it was just needless uh, in addition to it being um you know just just sort of ridiculous to go in and intimidate and bully a fan like that uh, it, it was just absolutely needless behavior and then yeah he goes goes and does all the rest of the stuff he does when he goes back to the UK publicly sort of shops himself around for a job slags off the league and 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 this this is ongoing too now apparently he's he's suing the club for unfair dismissal um uh, alleging that the club unfairly um dismissed him in, <laughs> it, it, because they wouldn't um stump up for a flight so uh it, it's a watch this space i think this is not the last we've heard of the uh the Robbie Fowler saga either unfortunately Tommy what about you mate own goal oh mate look it's it's pretty hard for me not to go past um uh, Perth just as a whole this year they they were the gift that kept on giving um, first up you had uh, the the Perth kit do you remember how uh, like very very early on in the season they had their all of the logos sat just slightly too low on the jerseys and so it looked like they were sort of like nipple covers uh, second of all uh, also along the lines of their kit was uh, they lost their kit en route to, to Melbourne and then blamed Qantas and then, then they had sort of like a bit of a stoush between the like the official accounts uh, on Twitter between uh, Perth and, and Qantas basically trying to establish who whose fault it was for actually losing the shirts um, yeah not a look, not a good look for Perth but I think they uh, they came out particularly uh, glowing after that um, and then finally look the, the ultimate out of this was um, the, the London Football Exchange and their potentials or attempted buyout of Perth. Wowee. That it's hard to believe that that was this season, but wowee, what just what a what a hot mess that was. And look, I think um everyone in the A League is is a little bit fortunate that this didn't come off in the end because I mean the guy the guy has shown to be uh, has come out to be pretty much like a, a con man and so um it's it's pretty fortunate I think that it just didn't didn't work out. But I tell you what, it was a gift they kept on giving while it was actually happening though, because Oh yeah! Wow. <laughs> yeah, and that's not even that's not even talking about any of the popper stuff playing the kids. I mean, his his kids turned out to be all, all right on the football pitch in the end, but um, you know him jetting off like twenty, like announcing that he was basically uh, doing a runner twenty four hours after losing um, the the final um, is ridiculous as well. And there's many many other points along the way uh, with Perth. It's definitely as well. a dummy spit. It's definitely a dummy, uh, a candidate for dummy spit of the season. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a big, <laughs> big rage quit, big rage quit. Um, but moving to more, um, more positive things, I suppose, boys. Uh, your, your your player signing of the season, um, obviously, um, with Western United coming in, there were, um, you know, there was an entire uh, squad full of new signings to choose from. But there were plenty of new signings across the league. Um, Jesse, who stood out for you? Well, um. Obviously, from Phoenix's um, perspective, we'll talk a bit more about it later. But Davila was um, uh, amazing for the Phoenix. I mean, he, maybe he cooled off a little bit in the second part of the season, but um, he was by far and away um, probably the biggest attacking threat all season, and was a breath of fresh air um, for the Phoenix and the way they played. Um, I know that we'll probably talk about uh, Diamante in a second, but um, I actually um, wrote in, in some of our notes um, Bears. 
being one of the player signings of the season because um, incredibly at his age, he's just, he's done it again. You know, he just, uh, and he was very, very important for the woo all year, um, the woo for you to pull you through. So um, <laughs> I, um, I actually thought Bez gets a really good shout in this conversation. Your thoughts, boys? Oh, I think that's underrated, Jesse. Um, Bez, Bez will definitely go down. I mean, particularly near, uh, you know, when you're standing beside Diamante in, in Western United, Diamante will get all the headlines and all the plaudits. But yeah, Bez, Bez is one of the is one of the best uh, foreigners or the most impactful foreigners um, to play in our league. I don't know where I don't have the stat in front of me, but he he would be he would be at least in the top five or six all time top goal scorers in Australian football history, not only A League football history. I mean, he's he's, he's ages away from Mori at the top, but I know he would be in the in the top five by now because he was he was pretty close at the start of the season um but Diamante boys that's an obvious one he's he's one of the most marketable players we've had in the league in in some time he's delivered on and off the pitch in spades banging in outrageous free kicks or delivering like no end of killer balls to to his teammates often those balls were the assist the pre-assist so they sort of went um you know you had to really be watching for them they won't show up in many stats but the, the way that he um, moved the ball around and created space for his teammates was outrageous. Um, right through to being a, a cult figure on social media, obviously, with um, with all of the Instagram videos and, and stuff like that. People absolutely froth him. Unbelievable that the FFA and, and the VUC couldn't get him in as a marquee a couple of years ago where he would have been um, even closer to his peak because he's in his he's in his mid-30s now, um, well into his mid-30s. Um, but... People seem to especially love it when he when he gets into his uh, little bikini briefs in the in the change rooms. Tom, Tommy, uh, you know what that's like, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, apparently, uh, apparently, Diamante actually copied this off of me uh, from from me doing my dance in uh, in in the change rooms after a win in my um, in my bikini briefs as well. But uh, look, um, Diamante to me, he's the perfect um, he's the perfect. Uh, marquee signing like he's been quality on the field he's embraced it here his family's come out and they've gotten around living here as well he, he's a character he's marketable he, he's just a dream and look he, he's he's been so much fun to have in the league because he's great on the pitch he's great off the pitch I can't speak highly enough of him he's been just such a welcome addition to the league in every aspect we need more like him um, but who do we need less like, boys? Who, who's, who's been your spud of the season? Well, it's funny because, again, referring to some of the things that you noted down, I mean, so many managers pop up in the spuds of the seasons. I mean, they just it's a revolving door at some clubs. Um, it's funny, actually. Uh, I think there's a couple of players I think would be a little bit harsh. Like, I really want to say Cruz, but I don't think Cruz was... Ad, ad, I don't think he was that bad. Like, I think he was he was okay. He wasn't that bad. Um I think we got what we expected with yeah. Cruz. He got some okay. He got some good moments. He got some running down into cul-de-sacs. He got an injury and then another injury, which finished his season. Yeah, I guess because to be a spud of the season, you've really sort of got to have high expectations on you and then disappoint. But Cruz, <laughs> I think you're right, Tommy. Cruz just sort of did what we thought would happen. And if any if anybody thought that you're going to get anything more, then you know, jokes on you. I, I think I'm um, just. I think for me on the field, I don't think there was too many people I couldn't necessarily single out as spuds because just, just, I don't know, maybe that's just the way my memory works with this long season, but I definitely think the managers, um, yeah, there was a couple of managers there that some of we, some of them have already spoken about who, um, who flopped a little bit. So, um, it's just quite funny seeing that unfold. Tommy, what about you, mate? Who stood out for you as the biggest spud in this A-League season? 
look, maybe maybe the the two spuds that I have in mind um, are a little bit along the lines of uh, Robbie Cruz in in terms of how how little impact they had and, and why. But um, the two two for me are going to be uh, Wes Houlihan and Richard Winbickler, who who both came here with with pretty solid reputations and just barely played. Some of it is not necessarily their fault um, that they got uh, some pretty bad injuries while they were here. But I mean, even Wes Houlihan, like he by the time he did actually get quit, he buggered off back to England anyway. So it was like, oh yeah, cool. Like, thanks for thanks for visiting. He just came out here to do a, do a rehab in Australia over the summer and have a nice holiday, um, all paid for by um, by the Newcastle Jets. Yeah, which is really disappointing. I think I think a lot of Newcastle fans had higher hopes for him, and it, it was really sad. I think for the league that they they didn't get to see more of Wes Houlihan uh, on the pitch. But it is what it is. It I guess part of your part of your duty as a player, really. Would it be harsh to say Tommy Orr was a bit of a spud? I mean, I know he's in the last place team, but I mean, you know, he made um, 20 appearances, zero goals. I think you'd expect a little more output from a from a player like him. Tom, Tommy Orr is the uh, the Aussie Hummers. Like he had he had one he had one good burst, like you oh. know, six or seven years ago, and oh. and from then on he's just been disappointing in just space. Been, just been treading water. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that is that is so harsh on Hummers Rodriguez to uh, put. <laughs> To, to even make that comparison, I'm absolutely seething at that. Well, you think you'd be seizing, uh, seething at that? I, I noticed. I noticed that uh, there was some annotation to my uh, my nomination of Spud of the season for Sam Silvera. <laughs> uh, boys, I don't know whether you agree with me because I know he's just got this uh, move to Liga Nosh in Portugal. Um, but you know, he, he scored against the Roar in the FFA Cup preseason. He got a three-year deal. He was roundly gassed by all and sundry at Fox Sports and all over soccer mm-hmm. Twitter as the next coming of Harry Kuehl. Had a few more encouraging performances at the start of the season. Then he gets a trial at LAFC in MLS, which we can only assume was unsuccessful because he came back to the Mariners. Um, and then he scores zero goals and is basically a passenger for the rest of the season and still somehow gets this move to Leonos. Um, you know, see you in two years, Sam. See you back in the A-League. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny you mention about Sam because, like, uh, he, he did he arrived on the scene with sort of such a bang and, and so much talk, but it kind of all... It, it did really come to nothing, though. And now, like, the, the, the first thing we've heard about him in, in almost six months since he came back from LA is that he's leaving again. Yeah, name one good um, name one good performance that he put in since coming back from that trial. You can't. Fair point. Lis- listeners, get at us. If you if you can if you can like link us to a highlight of, of one decent thing he did, one decent game he had that was more of a, more than a six out of ten since coming back from that trial at LAFC. He was just anonymous. Find us a Silvera lining. I challenge you to do that. <laughs> Oh, um, all right. In the, in that same vein, boys, uh, what about young player of the season? There were plenty. Um, this season saw uh, a lot of young players getting a chance, and I think we will see more of that in seasons to come. And which was one big silver lining of, I guess, the um, COVID period where you had a lot of established A League players uh, jetting off, and a lot of the foreigners going back home never to return. So a lot of young players actually did get a, a real good shot this season. But who who stood out for you, uh, Jesse? Well, um, are we doing young player of the season uh, Australian or young player of the season New Zealander? Because um, I feel like a lot of the votes um, definitely um, come across the ditch, boys. Um, Kikachi, uh, everyone, everyone was talking about him, obviously, rightly so, and has now moved, uh, to, got his European move. Um, Max Burgess, uh, often, you know, he comes to mind as well. So there's been some uh, some sparkling talent and as you say I think a lot of that was freed up by the fact that some of these um, players that would be in the way 
um, have had to go back um, to various parts of the world and it's opened up at least a, in a good way some local talent to come through and um, and flourish so for me Kakacha I think will be the story of the the season not just because he played really well and, and put in some great performances but he did um, basically become irresistible to a European club at the end of it so he'd be my vote I agree with that Jesse and um, that's uh, I mean that speaks volumes about the Knicks as well right like that you know this is not the first time the club's done that in fact they did that the season before as we all remember with Sapreet Singh selling him to Bayern Munich and and netting the club quite a handy little transfer fee as well and and this one is arguably even more important because we're in the middle of a pandemic and the salary cap's going to be reduced by a further 30% so this salary cap uh, this this uh, transfer fee that uh, the Knicks will get from Libby Kakate could be just an absolute lifeline and it could um, set the Knicks up to have a really good, a really strong season next season if they can keep all Fuktale, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure you'll cover that in your um, review of the Knicks' season. But it's it's just great business, really, really good business and really good to have a player who um, was, a, was a Knicks fan. He was in high school when he made his debut and to... To have a great season for the club he liked as a local, and then you know get a get a trans a big transfer fee for the club, and and to jet off onto bigger and better things. That's what we want from this league, and that's that's what every club should be doing at least once a season. The the season like slogan at the beginning uh, from from the A League was where heroes are made, and like how how good is it going to be, Jesse, in say two three years time when you've got Kakache ripping up one of the top five leagues in in Europe and captaining the the all whites like that and you'd be able to genuinely say that he was made in the a-league right and, and i think that's something that the phoenix could be really proud of uh not just now but yeah in five years time like i say when he's cutting up the the premier league or the bundesliga or something like the phoenix that. academy it's um it's great and yeah exactly what you said colby the um the separate sing model it's 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 proving successful so keep it coming tommy who stood out for you mate just uh, one one first thing before we go off into into my player, the young player of the season, um, is is Max Burgess actually a Kiwi, or have I just totally missed that? No, I just I just like to claim them in reverse sometimes, just like um, Crowded House. It's just a bit, bit of a monkey <laughs> on the back. To be honest, I don't even know. I, I I've actually I, I don't even think I know where Max Burgess is from. I assume he's Australian. I think you'll find he was born in Sydney, boys. Um, because there are, I know that he he played for the for the Phoenix last year, but I was thinking. Hang on, is he is he a Kiwi or what's the situation? Just, just, just keeping anyway. you boys on your toes, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, uh, look, pretty easy uh, decision uh, in terms of young player of the season for me. Um, I thought Tom Glover had a good season. Uh, uh, probably what uh, would be his his first full season, I think, as a as a first team goalkeeper, having come from basically youth football over in England before this. Um, thought he had a good season. He really grew as the season went along. Um, obviously had a had that howler against Melbourne Victory in one of the Melbourne derbies. Uh, so showed that he still got uh, room to grow though. But look, the the um, the big one besides Kakache was McGree. Um, hard to hard Ooh. to forget that what Riley McGree. <laughs> yeah, go on. Is, is, am I getting chipped over my pronunciation? No, no, you, I, no I'm just no. wondering if you, I, I'm just I don't know if, if I say it wrong. I'm just or wondering not. if you've got the 2018, uh, 19 season in front of you, mate. Instead, yeah, of mate. What, what's he done? What's he done this season, <laughs> <laughs> mate? 20, 21 years old. He played, I think, twenty. Hang on, I'll, I'll get, I'll get the stat for you. Yes, played, go on. I think twenty. 23 games, scored 10 goals. Uh, hold on, it's right at the bottom of the run sheet. Of course it is. Um, played 
yeah, 23, 23 games, uh, scored 10 goals, 5 assists. Uh, came on a transfer fee, sure. But look, I, I thought he was a really good leader for, for them as well. All at 21 years old, I think um, I, I think Riley McRae is even within a shout for being one of the players uh, of the of the season in the league at the moment. Obviously, yeah, there was some better performers in bigger, bigger teams. But uh, I think in terms of uh, influence for their respective teams, I thought he was he was big for Adelaide this season. And uh, look, I think it bodes well for the for the future as well because I think um, um, maybe we'll see him at the Tokyo Olympics. Not not sure about that or not, but um, uh, I think he's going to be a soccer uh, a core soccer in maybe five years time. Bad boy Riley. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, that's not a bad return. That's it's pretty it's pretty good, and and I think he's a local boy too, Ooh. right? For for Adelaide. Anyway, we, sure. we, 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 we can, we can <laughs> check, the, check the records, uh, but I think, I think that's right. Um, and Adelaide's a shithole anyway. It doesn't matter. That's what the, that's what the league needs, though. More, more local, local kids playing for their local clubs near where they're from, um, yep. where heroes are made, like you said, Tommy. That's, that's the kind of story that people want, and, you, and, and that's the kind of pe- thing people seem to gravitate to in every club. You see it um, in every club, people gravitating towards those stories of the local players that supported that club or at least from the area. So... But um, does all this mean you're you're giving up on your boy Tommy um, Hassan Torre? Is he, is he dead to you now? So I mean, uh, I think we can agree that he was really my boy all along because he <laughs> surely warrants a mention in Young Player of the Season. This is his first year. Let's not forget, as a pro, burst onto the scene in that FFA Cup um, and actually delivered throughout the season. Um, in sort of the the Bizarro Sam Silvera storyline, he, he he gets a start, gets a contract, and actually um, delivers on the promise. Got the Ollie Roos call up, delivered there too. Um, yeah, all, all all while being in his first year as a pro, and and then you know he's got he's got the got the other Tourays at, at Adelaide coming through as well. So I think the future looks very bright there. Yeah, look, I'll talk a little bit more about Adelaide further on, but to, to be to be perfectly honest, I actually thought um, Al Hassan Torre sort of faded a little bit as the season went on. Um, definitely in in lockdown, I, I honestly don't remember him doing anything. Um, it could be an oversight by me. Feel free to correct um, to jump into our mentions if uh, if I'm dramatically wrong there. But uh, yeah, I actually um, yeah unsighted in the after the restart for me. All right, then. Well, let's move on to our uh, our team season reviews. So what we'll what we'll do here is we'll um, we'll review each season each team's season um, from starting from Western United we'll go we'll go back to front we'll talk about uh, what made their season or let them down whether they overachieved or underachieved we'll give them a grade um, and we'll we'll talk about whose stocks are rising who's are falling and what are they going to need uh, to be successful next season so we'll start with the Woo which I believe you've covered Tommy. Yeah, mate, it was a real pleasure uh, covering the Woo uh, in uh, our season review this week. Uh, went to a couple of their games and sort of, I guess, developed a bit of a soft spot for them as the season went on. Foundation um, member. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so uh, for me, what made their season, I-, I thought it was a really good decision by Mark Rudan to, to go for experience um, with, a, with a sprinkling of youth there. I thought that was a really good decision and I thought it really paid dividends for them um, as the season wore on. Um, did they overachieve or underachieve? Look, I think you need to split this one into sort of on-field and off-field. I think they sort of overachieved on the pitch, uh, but I think they underachieved 
off the pitch. So um, I thought on the pitch they played some good football. Obviously, Diamante we've talked about already a little bit before. Um, and they showed that straight away they were a, a pretty coherent, competitive team. Um, obviously, they made finals, finished fifth. And so pretty pretty great result for them. Um, off the pitch, though, I thought um, the sta- they still haven't broken ground on the new stadium. They played at GMHBA, which was a bit of a disaster, to be perfectly honest, because it's like, what, what's the, the capacity is 36,000. 36, and it's an and oval. It, oh, yeah, and it just felt so big and so empty uh, a lot of the time, when most of the time they were getting probably six. 6,000 people there and gee 6,000 you you feel all 30 empty seats or sorry 30,000 empty seats when there's only uh, when there's only 6,000 there they only cracked I think 10,000 once which was when uh, victory came to town so yeah pretty tough season for them I gave them a a B plus uh, overall though because obviously first season in the league it was um, uh, they they made the best uh, best debut uh, with the exception of Western Sydney's um, inaugural season where they finished top. Um, in terms of stocks sort of rising, obviously we've talked um, about Max Burgess already as well uh, and Barisha, who I think a lot of people had written off. Uh, Connor Payne, I, I thought, had a good season after I think a lot of people had written him off as well at the Mariners. But in terms of... Uh, uh, stocks falling. I thought Mark Rudan had a bit of a, a roller coaster year. Obviously, had some good, good uh, results on the pitch, and obviously making finals is massive for him. But um, there were a few high-profile departures throughout the season with Connor Chapman, Scott McDonald, Yotek uh, Gulum, and Marky Kone all leaving as well th- uh, throughout the season. Um, what do they need for success next season? I, I think they need to make finals once again. Um, and they also need to start making a plan for, for how they're going to deal with uh, the post-Diamante world as well. Um, finally, and this is important, I think, for me and, and for the Woo moving forward, is they need to avoid GMHBA and break ground on a new stadium. Whether they play out of Footscray or um, uh, Melbourne Knights' stadium in Sunshine, they just GMHBA, I think, will not win them any new fans. I agree with that. Um, I just think, because I really wanted to jump in when you were talking about the stadium, because that, for me is the critical thing with the Wu. Um, there's yep. there's definitely going to be a supporter base that can grow there, but people need to go to the games and they need some security about where they're going to go. So like, what, what I mean by that is it's fine taking it to the regions and becoming a team that's really liked in the regions, but that needs to be, say, a third of the pie. Maybe two-thirds of the season, you need to be at a consistent venue in front of a, a consistent, yep. accessible ground and if that's Footscray, I mean, that might be the answer because you can have people come from the city pretty easily and you can have people come from the west relatively easily if it's near a train line. So it's, it's for me, that's absolutely the future for the Wu. Like I think the Geelong uh, experiment, in my opinion, was just, you know, no pun intended, but a bridge too far. Like it's just too far for people to travel, especially if they want to come from um, the CBD. And I imagine there'd be a lot of people in the CBD who'd like to watch these games as well. So I think somewhere in the, in the west... Is the answer? Yeah, Footscray's ideal because, and here's a little bit of transport chat for you, fellas. Um, uh, all the V lines uh, trains they stop at Footscray on their way to the city, so it's it's perfect. Uh, bonus question: Where do they refuel? <laughs> <laughs> Se- second bonus question, uh, just for the listeners out there: What zone is Footscray in, Tommy? They're, they're all zone one, mate. There, there are no zones in, in Melbourne anymore. Hell. <laughs> Shows how often I shows that's really just shown me up as as being a uh, inner city dweller who just walks everywhere or rides a bike. So, um, and Spot just on. just on your on your comment about the the post Diamante world, Tommy. Um, the, 
probably um i don't think you mentioned it but um fantastic uh for the club to lock him in for at least another season so um that is absolutely massive for them um because yeah as as you mentioned they've Rudan um, can rub up high-profile players the wrong way and he's caused a lot of players to, to leave that club probably and, and not to mention management staff as well. So critical that they've locked in Diamante. Yeah, probably they'll need to prepare for life without him the season after. But for, for the second season, they need to, they need to uh, have someone like that locked in. That's critical. Next team off the uh, off the block is the Western Sydney Wanderers, uh, which I'll be reviewing. Boys, another disappointing season for Western Sydney um, as they miss out on finals uh, for the third season in a row. They persisted with Babel at the start of the season, um, giving him you know a full season in charge. Showed promising signs despite the disappointing season the season before, and they had that. You know, they've got the brand new uh, world-class football-specific stadium in Bank West and things were looking like they were going to turn around, um, but the results didn't come and Babel had to go. So in steps uh, JP Demarini, who got some good results um, and almost looked as if they might make the finals, but they ended up slumping to a ninth-place finish. The club's owner, Paul Lederer, has flagged the idea of an external review um, into the club's A-League department to try and address some of these poor performances. Um, so what made their season or let them down? I suppose what let them down this season? Partly it's the A-League churn just catching up with them. They've, you know, it's very hard when you have to replace the key parts of your team every season. Remember they lost Bum Johan, Riera, who was their top scorer two seasons in a row, uh, and Bonavartia as well, who was a, a key contributor. Uh, last season. Yes, Mitch Duke came in and, and picked up the mantle, um, but the other key foreign players who came in didn't contribute. Um, and, and that's partly down to a bit of bad luck. They had injuries and departures of key players um, after the COVID break. Um, Mil Jayevsky, um got injured before he really even started. He looked like a promising player. Uh, Maya, don't know what happened with him, but he was touted to do big things and he did absolutely fuck all. Um, then they lost Lopar, who was one of the goalkeepers of the of, of the season after the A League uh, after the COVID break, um, but the damage I guess was already done by then. Um, did they overachieve or underachieve? Hard to say. Not making finals in an eleven team comp is anything but an underachievement. But when you when you sack your coach halfway through and your big stars are either long term injured or MIA, and there's a global pandemic, you almost feel like almost making the finals. Uh, you could be a, in a lot worse position. So I've given them a C minus. Whose stocks are rising and whose are falling? This is difficult as well. Um, a lot of their squad are flatlining, I would say. Um, Yeboa, Georgievsky, McGowan all come to mind. They're giving nothing more and nothing less than six out of tens every week. Uh, falling, we've got to say Kamau. Every season we say it's his season. It's now or never, um, and he disappoints. He's 25. You know, arguably, yeah, he still has a couple oh. of seasons, but he's, he's at risk of becoming the next Tommy Orr. You know, that we just expect <laughs> something from him every season and he never delivers. Um, rising, this was also hard to say whose who's stocks are rising. Oh, I could only think that um, JP DeMarini's stocks are rising because he's he's, he's come into basically a, a shit fight and he's, he's sort of done a little bit of something with it. He's at least stabilized some of the performances and, and you know, the circumstances around him not being a high-profile foreign coach in addition to that pandemic and meaning the club won't be looking to likely replace him with a high-profile high coach anytime soon. So he's got an opportunity now to to really yeah get his stocks to rise. He's 
got that opportunity that he's been looking for for years to to take on the the first team coaching role of a of an A League team. So uh, I think he's in a position to to have his stocks rising now. He's just got to um, you know put a squad together of uh, you know some of the most exciting youngsters from Western Sydney's academy, which you know, along with the Knicks, I guess, is one of the best academies in, in the A-League. So in terms of what they need to do for success for next season, they need the fans back and they need to give those local academy kids a chance. But, um, you know, I think we undervalue the um, what, what the RBB really do for that club when they're in full voice and what they can really contribute in terms of being the, the 12th man. It would be great to have them back. Um, apparently, Western Sydney are going to switch from Nike to Kappa next season, which was in addition to being a big vibe, uh, would be, uh, you know, if that doesn't get the RBB back, nothing will. Just a just a question for you there, Colby. Do you know if this A-League review um, will be also including maybe um, making somebody accountable for the head count that got wrong, the amount of people that should have been on that player bus um, after that game and uh, how they managed to leave one of their <laughs> key players back in the stadium? Uh, I guess that's a question. Oh, I think that's go- that's going to be part of the review. Yep, for sure. Yep, there's going to be there's going to be checks and balances next season on on the team bus. That's for sure. I completely agree with you on the academy front. Um, just going back to that, I um, that's surely the answer for them. Like if they've got good players coming through the academy, then there's probably going to be a few um a few awkward conversations. Maybe the coach is going to have to have with a few players. You mentioned Kamau. I mean, if these players just aren't performing, then they are essentially blocking players coming through the academy and i don't know if, if the the wanderers can really wait much longer on these players they need to at least if they're going to have a, a transition period of rebuilding youth they, they need to give those players minutes like the phoenix have done this year um there's just no replacement for first team football so i think um yeah you just got to be careful that some of these players that are going a little bit stale maybe it's time for them even if it's just going to another a-league club maybe they need to move some of these guys on Next up, uh, the uh, Wellington Phoenix. Jesse, take us through the next season. Well, there is, yeah, it's been a hell of a season, guys. Um, yeah, uh, the fact that they were projected to, to do pretty poorly, that it was very much acknowledged as a as a year where they were just going to blood the youth. And um, it, last season just seems like such a long time ago that it's easy to forget that they lost um, uh, some key, key players. They lost Krishna, who was just an absolute gun last season. Um, and... Uh, they did bring in some good signings. Um, so Marinovic in, in goal has been a real um, a, a real star for the Phoenix this year. Um, McCowett was actually signed this season. Davila, obviously, we'll talk about him in a second. Um, you had Ball and Devlin and Steinman, Piscopo, Hooper, all these guys. Um, the, 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 basically, a lot of the first 11 um, actually came in this year. So <laughs> the fact that they gelled on the pitch um, for good parts of the season and, uh, and really gave some of the top teams a run for their money was really pleasing um the position style of football so bringing Davila in again um that really changed the way the Phoenix played having somebody who actually can control possession and, and retain the ball some of my favorite performances from the Phoenix this year was just when they were able to hold the ball and keep it off good teams it, even though they they sort of lost that killer touch and goal near the end of the season um uh, I really liked the fact that they had this um, ability to actually hold the ball and not shit themselves when they had the um, people putting pressure on them. So um, that was pretty pretty cool to watch. But yeah, just going back to that, um, what sort of let them down near the end, um, basically it was the fact that they were unable to, um, to not just create um, a decent amount of chances, but finish them. Um, they really needed a killer, killer finish in front of the goal. Um, I actually would give them an A, an A minus, um, which uh, is mainly Ooh. because they completely overachieved 
Um, and uh, obviously to get an A+, plus, you'd have to go on and win the comp, which they didn't. They didn't even get past the um, elimination final. But I, I think in the, in the context of this season, uh, considering who they had on their roster, and a lot of new names. I give them an A plus. Uh, sorry, a minus Freudian slip. Um, because uh, <laughs> basically, because I just think that they didn't really have any right to finish where they finished. Um, they did lose Max Burgess, Sapri Singh, um, Durante left, left last season as well, and Tommy sees David Williams. Um, <laughs> but um, it's going on to what stocks are rising. Well, some obvious ones. Um, obviously, Kakachi was one of the key ones, and he's he's left now. Um, Davila did no harm to his reputation um, he went on to score 12 goals and 27 appearances top scorer for the club Ooh. Callum McCowart uh, looks like a real real prospect I really like the look of him and and Ufuk Tale was just fantastic from a managerial perspective that season has done done wonders for him I mean he's just done such a great job um, I think people that maybe plateaued a little bit is Alex Rufa I'd like to see a little more from him I don't think he was um, as good as he can be. Um, maybe next season we're looking for a breakout season from him. Devere, I mean, again, being very nitpicky here because I think Devere was very good for most of the season. I think he sort of fell off a little bit near the second half of the season, but that's been really nitpicky. I don't think there was anyone that was um, terrible um, in this season. What do they need next season? Well, a continuation, keep nurturing um, the existing academy talent. Um, there's going to be a big hole where Kakachi was was but um they just have to keep positive and be like we can bring more players through that can can add something to the team maybe change the formation a little bit if they can't replace his, his position for a like for like obviously um and just yeah i've maybe maybe try and get a signing and somebody who's just a lethal finisher um, we do have good strikers in the new zealand uh, premiership and things like that who are proven in those levels maybe they haven't played for the phoenix but we do have good strikers um, and we've also got, you know, players who've managed to make it overseas, like Chris Wood. There's potential there to bring in players that are very, very good in front of goal. But I think the Phoenix might just need to concentrate a little bit on that because that's the, that was clearly their uh, their undoing in the in the finals. So mostly positive guys from the Phoenix. Um, I'm not sure what your thoughts were, but I, th- I know a lot of us didn't expect them to uh, to make finals. So it was pretty pleasing. Mate, I think you've been a bit harsh on them, to be perfectly honest. I, I think an A minus, like considering, like we said, that there are a few, few people that thought they were going to get the wooden spoon and they finished third. Whew. If I had, A minus, if I had to point to anyone in this team whose stocks were falling, I probably couldn't, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. And and uh, another one who I'd shout out as stocks are rising, I would say Cam Devlin as well. Like he was one of the best uh, tacklers in the league. He was one of the best at winning back possession. Um, that I that I've seen in the A League for some time um, is just an absolute terrier, and um, and and in terms of Devere Jesse, I hear what you say, but like having watched him at the Raw, um, frustratedly watch him sit on the bench for so many of so many seasons. I don't know what what the team behind the scenes are doing um, at the Knicks, but um, whatever they're doing, um, whoever the the physio or the sports scientists or whatever the Knicks are doing to be able to get him on the, on the pitch for an entire season, considering his history with injuries. I mean, (laughs) their stocks are rising. That's whose stocks are really (laughs) rising. Physiotherapy. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. Um, All right. Next up is you as well, Jesse. Uh, You're reviewing uh, (laughs) Sydney FC. Uh, Blow us away, mate. I'm back guys. I'm back. Um, yeah, so Sydney FC was an interesting one um, because uh, we've had a bit of banter with this club over the season because obviously, uh, I said before, um, in a complimentary way, they've been just by far the best team in the season. Uh, and I think um, I think one thing that we were talking about before was a lot of managerial sort of disharmony in other teams and um, that sort of, 
a disruption, not just from COVID, but from managerial appointments and people coming in and out the door. Sydney are an example of just having consistency um, in that position and having someone with a bit of stability. Um, and don't get me wrong, um, they brought in some key players this season to um, to sort of hit back after um, losing the title last year. So they've really were able to re re grasp their um, dominance on the league. Um, what made their season, guys? Uh, Ryan Grant's nipple ultimately was what made the season. <laughs> Reddy's early Christmas present certainly helped. Um, but the but the movement <laughs> in last year's transfer market again. This looks seems like a long time ago, but um, you had Costa Barbarousas um, by Johan. Um, you know that's a big big signing too because he was essentially the Wanderers' best player, and they just said, "Yep, we'll have him." Uh, Luke Bratton. Um, I know there was a lot of compliments going around in the group chat uh, after the grand final about his performance. Yeah, Damo, Damo Frost Bratton. Yeah. So I he, don't get it. So, you know, <laughs> whether you're a, a big Bratton man or not, I mean, he, he, he was ultimately a successful signing for Sydney if you look at the outcome of the season. Um, even Ryan McGowan um, falls into that um, category because he was he came across the season as well and he had a good season. He was in the, the team in the final. Um what a hallmarks of their season was clinical finishing, lethal attack. Even when they didn't have a good game, their counter-attack goals were just so good. Um, they were able to beat teams just from a couple of moments. They didn't have to dominate a game to win it. Um, and uh, I actually um, mentioned in my stocks are rising, Bahagia, um, because I think he's a player that's just growing and growing and looks like a more of a growing threat, especially when he comes off the bench. I think he deserves more than just coming off the bench, though, going forward. Um, he has kind of got a bit of a block there with two uh, notable players up front but I, I think he's the kind of player that if he doesn't get in the, the starting team for Sydney they, they might struggle to hold on to him Redmayne, little damage to his reputation in fact he had a couple of incredibly key saves this season um, Ryan Grant who you know <laughs> The, the 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 wine he's aging like a fine Damo wine um, for list, for listeners out there Damo's got some delicious 1995 vintages that he, um, he <laughs> keeps in his shelf so that's the the reference um, Ryan Grant just yeah I mean this I I love that I love the kind of player he is I love a person that just works and works and works but I also love a player that is just not working for the hell of working uh, working because He's winning the little battles that actually rattles the opposition and makes the opposition make mistakes. So I have a lot of respect for that kind of a player. Um, every team needs a runner. Every team needs a runner. So A plus for Sydney this year. I mean, they 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 dominated the transfer market. They played um, pretty clinical, ruthless football. Um, uh, the only the only thing I could be nitpicky about as far as next season, um, what are they going to do? Um, if they just keep the consistency where they are, they're going to be very hard to beat again. But I think the one thing I noticed when I was going through their stats is LaFondra basically scored most of their goals. They had, um, I think, four from Barbarousas and a few assists from him. Um, but Barbarousas didn't score all the goals. It was LaFondra by, by a country mile. Um, and you look throughout the rest of the team and there's not actually a lot of goals. So, so my question would be is if he, if anything happens to him, is, is there any kind of backup plan? I guess Bahagia um, will be um, an interesting player to watch if he does stay there because he might be the backup plan uh, in that regard. Well, Jesse, Jesse uh, Adam LaFondra has already been confirmed. I believe that he's leaving to, to Mumbai uh, City in the Indian, I'm not sure it's the Premier League, but the, the Indian League. So, so is that, um, is curiously, it I believe it's confirmed. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, curiously, um, Mumbai City are part of the City Football Group. So you know, if you if you can't beat them, just get your little brother to to buy the best player. 
I thought there was some real Bayern Munich energy around them taking Barbarossas and Barmyohan, um, Sydney's uh, two sort of biggest rivals in Western Sydney in victory and took their best players, um, arguably. Um, and yeah, both teams struggled this season and Sydney, like, uh, sorry, uh, Barbarossas and, and Barmyohan were key players for uh, for. Uh, for Sydney this season as a result. That's some real big dick energy from Sydney, isn't it? Like as much mm. as as much as you love to hate them, um and, and a lot of a lot of fans of the A League love to hate them, uh to do that to your two biggest rivals uh in a big swoop is is a real a real statement of um of where you are in the pecking order and where they are. So I, I rate that as well. And and just on your comment, uh Jesse, before we move on to the next side about um about uh, Adam LaFondra's goal scoring relative to Costa Barbarousas. I think it's because Barbarousas just didn't need to score those goals. Like he was probably laying on the assists. and uh, But I mean, really, like he didn't need to score those goals. And and you look at the seasons before when Babo was scoring record amounts of goals for Sydney FC as well. Their recruitment have always been able to find a way. And, and um, uh, Adrian before that as well, uh, they've always been able to find a lethal number nine who can um, guarantee them, you know, tw- 15 to 20 goals a season. So, um, you know, you'd, you'd back them to do it again. Uh, moving on to Perth Glory, Tommy. Oh, wowee. What a wild ride for Perth and Perth fans this season. Uh, obviously, they, they finished first last season and then uh, lost in the grand final at home. Um, and so hopes were pretty high, I think, for, for Perth this season. But it just... It hasn't really worked out for them this season. Obviously, Andy Keogh left and uh, Bruno Fornaroli came in, and I think a lot of Perth fans would have been excited about that, that sort of combination between Castro, Economides, and Fornaroli. But um, the, the three of them didn't really play enough together uh, for those three to, to gel. They, they look good when they did play together, but uh, uh, I think injuries sort of hurt their, hurt their season a little bit. Um, in terms of whether or not they overachieved or underachieved, I think it's uh, pretty clear that Perth, especially with that squad and the depth that they have as well, um, that they underachieved. And I've given them a C- minus overall with the only redeeming factor being that they scraped through into finals. Um, I think it's an enormous underachievement there for, for that squad. In terms of uh, stocks that are rising and falling, um, I actually thought Bruno Fornaroli, uh, that his stocks were sort of dwindling a little bit. He, he still got 13 goals, but he never really looked particularly settled in that side. And um, in Castro, um, when he wasn't in the squad um, post-lockdown or post-restart, sorry, um, you, you sort of saw that Bruno Fornaroli was sort of trying too hard and things weren't really coming off and you could see frustration around him uh, and he himself a little bit frustrated with things as well. And so, um, I mean, since since the season's finished, there's been rumour of Bruno Fornaroli leaving, uh, possibly going to the victory, which, oh, man, that is just... That is wild and for so, so many reasons. Um Especially after having heard three years of uh, Bruno Bruno Fallen Rolly from Victory fans while he was at City, uh, just oh wow! I'd love to see that if if nothing Tommy, else. Other wouldn't than it to... be shithousery if um, Sydney just replaced Lafondre with Fornaroli? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, actually, that's actually not a, a terrible idea, you know, because I reckon um, I actually think Corica would like the sort of the control that that Fornaroli would bring to that side. Um, Bruno likes to play with his back to goal. So, yeah, look, I don't think that's a terrible shout, you know. I think he would really compliment Barbarousas and Bahadja, actually. Like, back back yeah. to goal, his hold-up play, and the way he could bring them in sort of overlapping. Um, I actually think that could work in, in Sydney's setup. Totally agree. If anything, I actually thought that um, Castro's sort of lack of pace was, was something that was going to sort of um, 
be a hindrance to uh, to Perth, but they they seem to make it work when they both had uh, those two on the pitch. Tell you what, though, with um, someone uh, for Castro, with someone with a, a lack of pace, he was he was very quick to get the fuck out of there when COVID hit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And look, it was pretty disappointing, but I, I believe that um, there's been um, some more issues with Castro sort of in the in the post restart um, A League, where I believe there's some contractual issues now with him, and there's a little bit of tension about whether or not he's going to be staying at the club or seeing out the rest of his contract always, or, or what's going to be. Always going creates on, so. a lot of tension when Castro goes into hiding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But look, the the other thing for uh, for Perth is obviously Popovich has left in the last couple of days, had his had his big dummy spit and gone to the Greek second division. Um, but uh, their Asian Champions League campaign is meant to be starting in possibly October, which is a bit over a month away. So, I mean, th- they've got to pick a manager. They they've already had a couple of players leave. They've had Franjic go to Macarthur. They've they've brought in um, uh, Nathaniel Atkinson from City and. Uh, the Melbourne Victory striker. Please refresh my memory. Um, oh, Naboo. Naboo, yeah. All I could think of was Mombear, but anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> so they had um, uh, Naboo. He's gone to Perth as well. Uh, and so, like, you can only you can only guess that those players are Popovich signings as well. So h- how is this all going to fit together? And you can just see that um, that that Asian Champions League uh, campaign is going to be a bit of a be a bit of a mess. Uh, what do they need for success for next season, though? Um, they need their coaching appointment to bang. Like uh, the, Popovich was a bit of a. They had, I guess, some mixed success there. Obviously, they were good last season, but obviously, like I said, this season the only redeeming fact about it was that they made finals. He's clearly a great um, manager, though, isn't he? Like, and you can see how he develops the players and 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 how he how he gets them up to speed and gets them fit. And um, he's clearly he clearly gets the, gets the most out of a club. And we've we've said this about him before, but I mean. The the way he, the way that he left, uh, I mean, and and all of those players Which, that were there for him and because of him, it's re- like he's really like just taken a steaming shit on that club on the way out, hasn't he? Well, it's now twice that he's done it. Yeah. Like he left the Wanderers on the eve of the competition starting. Like it's just like I, I don't know if you call it selfish or like obviously it's very ambitious. He's an ambitious man because he wants to go and prove himself in Europe, but. Geez, like there are two clubs that have like sort of brought him in from the wilderness a little bit. There are ways to go about it. Yeah, exactly. Like you can say, oh, look, I'm going at the end of this season, but just sort of dumping and running really, I imagine, would leave a a bad taste in both um, uh, Wanderers and Perth fans' uh, mouths. In terms of a replacement, I think Jacob Burns, who's the director of football at Perth, he's been linked with taking on the the role full time. I don't know if that's just for the Asian Champions League or or not. That would kind of make sense, but um, look, he's pretty ex- inexperienced as as a head coach. So yeah, yeah, uh, it's it'd be really disappointing, I think, for Perth because like they they've worked bloody hard to get to the Asian Champions League, and now it's all kind of going to be a little bit anticlimactic, I guess. Um, but yeah, like I said, their, their next coaching appointment really needs to bang for the next season. But they've got plenty of time, I guess, to, to be able to sort that out uh, in time for the next season starting. Up next, uh, the Newcastle Jets, um, boys, after a shocking start to the season in which the Jets won just two out of their 13 uh, A-League games, Ernie Merrick got the sack and upstepped Craig Deans and Chiang Lee 
to uh, jump into the caretaker role. Then in Feb, just before the pandemic hit, um, they appointed Carl Robertson, formerly of MLS side Vancouver Whitecaps, um, who brought with him A-League cult hero Bernie Abini and former Wales and Crystal Palace midfielder Joe Ledley, and they played some pretty decent football. What made their season? I would say Carl Robertson really um, got that season back on track. There are a lot of question marks around how you know he was going to go I think he was on a bit of a career hiatus he wasn't actively managing when they brought him in and you know there were mixed views about his results for the Whitecaps um, but I think he's done a great job got a they've got a pretty good squad who he's, who he's seems to be um, getting results out of or getting performances out of hard to say they overachieved though um, when they went backwards in terms of their finish from last season they finished the season before this seventh and they finished this season in eighth but considering what a position they were in when Merrick left I'd give them about a C plus I think rising stars uh, of the Petrati clan Costa and Mackey um, both made their A-League debuts this season uh, and looked pretty good for it in, in particular, uh, Costa Petrados. The, the trio is going to be split up with Dimi apparently jetting off to Saudi Arabia, but uh, Costa and Mackie will have um, have uh, you know big opportunity next season, I think. So falling stocks, we did mention Wes Houlihan before. You come in, uh, you, you get a rehab and a holiday, um, uh, do nothing and then fuck back off home like... It's yeah, his, his, his stocks are stocks are falling. I would say, uh, in terms of what they need to do for success next season, they really need to keep the, this core uh, together. There's a lot of a lot of good young talent in that squad, and and um, if the manager can keep them together and keep the experience there, keep the likes of Bernie Abini and others, and and develop the the the, the likes of the two Petrati that are there, and and Thurgate and others, um, and and bring them through. I think um, I think the Jets will have a good season next year. Um, Cobby, I reckon you, uh, you could almost split the Jets into sort of like post or pre pre Robinson and post Robinson. Like, but before Robinson came in, they were a bit of an also ran in the league. But since Robinson come Robinson has come in, he's done such a fantastic job at the Jets, and I think a lot of Jets fans are actually pretty excited about next season yeah. whenever it does finally start. They should be. They I, should be. I think they're a red hot shout for at least making finals next year, and I think they're going to be uh, really competitive next season. But this all hinges. Let's not forget on what happens, and we'll we'll talk about this um, at the end of the show today. What's you know what's going to come up for next season? When is it going to be? Because we're going to go into the, probably the longest off season the A League has ever seen, and so a lot of these clubs will essentially be mothballed. What are the players going to do? Um, so it's 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 going to be a really critical time in terms of how clubs manage these situations um, but moving on to the next club um, who's in a bit of a, a shit situation uh, Jesse talk <laughs> us through talk us through the vuck the cuck it's it's <laughs> it, it's great uh, to be following this team and covering this team guys appreciate that I have to say uh, this is a real tale of chapters in a season um, there were there were good moments there were terrible moments there were cruise moments um it was just unbelievable um i suppose one of the things i'll remember about the season for the victory was um uh, an inability to retain possession and build pressure um there was very much a get out of jail card of just lobbing it forward to toivonen and getting him to get his head on it in the first part of the season Nabu did um, chip in with some goals, but uh, I suppose you can't criticise him too much because he still did did contribute. But um, ultimately, the attack from the um, victory didn't um, didn't fire the way that we all expected them to. And uh, after he left, again going back to chapters in the season, once he was gone, 
um, once Toivonen was gone. Um, you know, they'd already lost Barbarousas to Sydney in the preseason. Um, they just, you know, there was a change of managers. Cruz got injured. Um, it just was a, a real clusterfuck for the victory. And I think um, on a more bright note for them, uh, Rojas looked really good uh, near the end of the season. He closed the season off well, scoring some key goals. Um, and I suppose that for him, it's it's you know it's encouraging for the for people that were seeing him as a key signing coming in because um, my concern was that he might have uh, may not necessarily be the same player that he once was, but he was looking good near the end of the season, so that's a positive for them. Um, but I mean, players like Cam Cam Sober, one goal in twenty five games, um, that's just not really not good enough, um, especially if you're playing for the victory. They finished last season in third and finished this season in tenth. So um, if you really want to break down if they underachieved or overachieved, well, they severely underachieved. Um, even <laughs> though they had some key injuries, they were like everybody affected by the disruption of the season. Um, that squad should still have crept into the finals. Um, and and that's, that's ultimately the failure of the season. Some players, no major damage to their uh, stocks. Um, but yeah, stock, um, players like Cam Sober and that sort of thing... Um, that's not not great um you know brock they need a brox to brox midfielder and broxham did his best <laughs> um but I, I think they probably need a bit more firepower in there because like i said one of their real issues was retaining possession i remember a couple of games uh, one one early in the season against sydney fc where they just couldn't get the ball they literally just couldn't get the ball they were just chasing the ball for most of the most of the game um, and that's they're just never going to dominate games if they can't hold on to the ball. What do they need for success next season? Well, I mentioned this in the pot a few weeks ago. I think less papering over the cracks with marquee signings and more time spending uh, to try and make a formidable squad and unit um, because they will be a very, very difficult team to, um, to keep out of the finals if they can actually complement some of the existing players. They have plenty of resources, plenty of good scouting networks in place, um, a really big fan base and um, players will you know especially if they're looking at sort of um, retiring in Australia so to speak there'll be players that want to come and play for the victory just because of the reputation so there's no reason why they can't make some smart signings and build a good squad but they don't need to bring in a Honda or something like that to just sort of paper over the cracks I think this season was where we saw the um, the wound exposed um, when they didn't actually build a strong squad because when a couple of players went down, they got uh, pantsed by a few teams. It's just been two seasons of um, of the recruitment just not sticking. We talked about Sydney just getting it right year after year and, and the part, for the past two seasons, Wellington have got it right. We were talking earlier, we, we basically couldn't name a player for the Wellington Phoenix um, that didn't have a successful year and a, a recruitment um, that wasn't um, that wasn't a really good choice in particular the manager and then you look at the victory who who, who are also like Sydney um, known for their really great recruitment uh, particularly of players it all started with the appointment of Kurtz just getting it wrong he was the wrong fit for the club um, Toivonen yes um, he was he was a good recruit but all of the rest just didn't work for whatever reason Kiki Dobros Michi Basha all those like names that you'll just forget in six months time um who were yeah completely forgettable and just didn't work and probably detracted from what the club was doing so they they really and now more than ever uh with you know this this sort of covert and hopefully post-covert environment with the salary cap being reduced absolutely critical for them to get recruitment right i think that's the key thing that they'll need and that's really what you're touching on jesse with building a unit and yeah forget the forget the big name marquees for now but just 
get it right. Whoever you're bringing in has to be the right fit for the for the, the squad and for the uh, the club overall. And that's exactly right. And just also just making sure that they shore up some of that defence. They were the third most goals conceded with 44 goals. Um, and I just don't think that's the kind of stat you really associate with, with the victory teams of the past. So, um, yeah, they just need to really um, become a harder team to beat um, than they were this year. So that's sort of my main analysis of the Melbourne victory, um, unless you've got anything you want to add there, Tommy. Yeah, look, if, if there's two things I want to want to mention. Uh, first of all, mention Marco Rojas. I think uh, he would be nailed on, I reckon, to leave over the over this big break that we're about to see. Um, I mean, he's already left the club twice before, and so I wouldn't be surprised if he heads back to to Europe uh, and then comes back halfway through next season again. Um, in Another departure who I'm, I'm kind of expecting is uh, Elvis Cam Sober to Central Coast Mariners. I reckon that is just oh, that has that is just the most predictable tra- uh, transfer you will ever see. I reckon. Play this back to me in in 12 months' time when we're when we're previewing the next season. I'd be surprised <laughs> if that doesn't happen, Tommy. <laughs> but why, why don't you why don't you keep going though, Tommy, with um, the number one team in Melbourne, Melbourne City. Yeah, mate, there's only one team in Melbourne, that's Melbourne City. Uh, look, really successful uh, season for, for uh, Melbourne City. They finished last season in fifth spot, um, this season up to second under new French coach uh, Eric Mombert, who was just a real breath of air, not just for uh, Melbourne City, but I think for the league as well. Um, talked about Diamanti and his sort of, um, how he was a character and how he was great for the league. I think uh, Mombert was the gift that kept on giving as well in terms of uh, his off-the-field uh impact as well um, I think David Squires will be disappointed that he'll he'll be uh, leaving the league as I'll well looking back at his legacy um, with dark tinted glasses what about you Tommy <laughs> <laughs> exactly and let's not forget that uh, Melbourne City handed out like replicas of his glasses uh, before one of the matches uh, midway through the season which that, that was a lot of fun like we talk about like there's been plenty of crap uh, tie-ins like with Star Wars round and shit like that but that was actually I thought cheeky it was fun and um, I like that. I really got around that. Do you reckon that came out uh, of the uh, the A League's million dollar marketing budget? <laughs> uh, hopefully not. I hope Melbourne City footed the bill because they can afford it. But look, what in, in terms of what made their season? Obviously, uh, Jamie McLaren, J Mac, he was immense. Uh, scored a hat full of goals. Finished up with the the golden boot. Uh, Montbert had a really big job on his hands to turn around what was a pretty dysfunctional unit under Warren Joyce, um, and got them playing, flowing, attacking, counter attacking. Uh, football and they would they would just chalk and cheese and I remember sitting there uh, like I, I go to all their home games but I remember sitting there and I think it was about the second game and I said to the blokes here next to me I said can you believe that this was the same team largely that was playing such shit football under Warren Joyce and it was just such a pleasure to watch them um, all the time um, City fans also uh, loved them wearing red in the grand finals a nice touch after 10 years since uh, Melbourne Heart were uh, were first created did they overachieve or underachieve um it's kind of hard to pick because obviously they are the richest team in, in the league, huge buckets of money available to them and they've got like the, the best training facilities. And so I think they've they kind of just achieved and they sort of finally, I think, met some of the expectations of them. Um, they qualified for the Asian Champions League but ultimately, they they came second in every um, in every competition they uh, they were in this season. So um, yeah, that's a I gave them a B plus. Uh, I think they didn't win any of the the tournaments they were in or any of the competitions, so they they needed to win something to be able to get an A. 
In terms of stocks that are rising, uh, another pretty meh season for, for Lockie Wales. Uh, he's starting to fall into that um, Bruce Kamau sort of territory where it's like, yeah, he's been around for a couple of years now and and he, he played a lot of football this season but didn't really produce a hell of a lot. And he's one of those, he, he's starting to become one of those players that's just a bit of a pace merchant with no um, with no end product, which, um, yeah, Lockie Wales, I think he really needs to turn that around. He's, Otherwise, he's definitely, uh, he could start to see. Definitely going through the Justin Bieber midlife crisis uh, with the hairstyle. <laughs> it's usually a telling sign, isn't it? The thing yeah, with think- Lockie Wales, though, Tommy, is was he ever rated like Bruce Kamel, though? I don't remember Lockie Wales ever being like one of those players that we sort of all thought, oh, gee, he's, he could have a big future ahead of him. He's he's a really high potential player and then sort of lets you down. Like, I just sort of thought, oh, he was a, a bit of a young prospect and he was just thrown into the role when Fauna Rowley had to sit on the sidelines under Warren Joyce and and do the best he could. And, and, and for, for mine, he just seems to have improved a little bit on that. Um, this season with with the likes of Maka playing around him and and a little bit of a better team playing around him, it looks a bit better for me. But I guess it's 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 what your what expectation you're sort of framing that up against, whether you're expecting big things from him or not. But I just never thought that he was that highly rated in the first place. I don't think uh, at the beginning of the season a lot of fans would have thought uh, a lot of A League fans would have said that he's going to be a locked on nailed on starter uh, for for Melbourne City. But but like we get to the end of the season and he is the first choice uh, right sided sort of attacking midfielder for for Melbourne City. But like he didn't really produce like the performances which would justify that. And moving forward, I think m- m- wouldn't be surprised if Melbourne City do chase a- an improvement upon that position uh, even whilst hanging on to Lockie Wales. So yeah, look. I'm I'm going to say that his stocks are falling though because he he had plenty of opportunities and and could have had a better season I think. In terms of stocks that are rising, uh, already mentioned J Mac, great season for him. Uh, third uh, season where he scored twenty or more goals. No other A League player has done. Um, and Tom Glover is the one, the other one that I wanted to mention. Um, thought he had a great season, and I think he's going to be a soccerist goalkeeper in in the future. Exciting uh, exciting young player to to see coming through. Um, sorry, uh, what do we need for next season? I've missed a whole section there, didn't I? Um, so it's a little bit disappointing, I guess, that uh, Eric Monbert has already left um, and Melbourne City have already announced that uh, Paddy Kisnorbo is going to step in. Uh, Paddy Kisnorbo has been around the club for, I think, six or yeah, six years. He's been there ever since, um, I think he was actually there for the last season of uh, for Melbourne Heart. So yeah, been around the club and look, he's had a, an awesome um, apprenticeship, I guess, uh, with the club. He, he's been an assistant. Um, he's also uh, coached the the youth team, and he's had incredible success as well with the women's team as well in the in the dub. So, um, Paddy Kisnorbo, I, I think uh, the club will have high expectations for him. It would be would be almost a little bit disappointing that if they uh, aren't performing in the first half of the season, you wouldn't be surprised if the club say, "Sorry, you're just not meeting the, um, our expectations." And but yeah, hopefully it doesn't get to that point. Speaking of disappointing, up next to the Mariners, Jesse. If anybody <laughs> was thinking about uh, jumping off this podcast, think again, because I'm about to review the Central Coast Mariners and what a way to round off some of these uh, teams. Um, we're getting down the bottom now. And uh, you can't get much further down the bottom than 11th, guys. Uh, a tough a tough team to sort of assess because um, for me, they kind of uh, represent the perpetual nature of uh, when you are in a, a tough spot as a club, you can't get the signings you want, but then to to get the signings you want, you need to play attractive football and be finishing in a different part, a decent part of the table. But you can't do that with the attractive signings. It's that catch twenty two. It's a it's a tough thing to watch because they are a club that have a, a bit of history in this competition, and they just don't seem to be able to get out of um, out of the blocks. Um, 
what made this season? Well, Marvin's social media memes, um, inflatable sauce bottles, <laughs> Matt Simon scoring two late goals against the Vuck, um, doing the double over the victory. I'm sure they'll enjoy that. What let them down? Everything else. Um, so essentially their on-field performances, some of the key players, so you mentioned Silveira there, who's off to um, Parcos de Fajaira in, um, in Portugal. Um, yeah, it's mayo, mayo, bit of mayo. Um, yeah, it's 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 it, yeah. You summed it up beautifully earlier, Colby. Where you're just like you've got a, a player that needs to really needs to show some leadership and actually lead some of these younger players, and just sort of just doesn't really do anything. I think it is encouraging to see a player, um, an academy prospect like Dylan uh, Ruiz Diaz, coming through and um, and and producing a couple of nice moments. I know these kind of moments were few and far between for the Mariners, but. He did did um, did score a couple of really nice late goals in that victory game, and you and you have to sort of when you when your club doesn't have a very successful season, you do need to hang on to those moments and be like that's that's where we can actually get to if we want to get some consistency. But yeah, it is hard to take positives out of the season because they were last last year and they'll last this year. Um, I think as a club, they probably think that they're still. Um, building some kind of um, reply but um, from the outside it's hard to sort of get too much positive um, out of it they're going to have to make some really astute signings the fact that the club's ownership has been put up in recent times and there's this question about whether or not they're going to stay in the central coast or go to Canberra it's just um, it's it's mm. not a great um, it's not a great time um, to be a Mariners fan anyway let alone the uncertainty um, that's going on around the club so I think a real rejuvenation of some of the squad, keep the academy prospects because I think they've already got some good talent coming through, but they really need a couple of people just to tie this team together and make them a harder team to beat because you can be a, you can be a bottom of the ladder dweller as a club, but you don't have to be a rollover and, and just let a team just walk over you every week kind of club. I think that there are enough players in the uh, transfer market to build a, a relatively... Um, resilient team and I think that's the that's what they need to do they've, they've got the reverse of a winning mentality they've got the once they go a goal down they just basically think that's it and hang up the boots and we, we can't they can't continue to have those kind of performances because they will just get steamrolled season after season they, they're actually quite fortuitous that a few a few teams like Victory and Wanderers and those sort of players uh, those sort of clubs have sort of floated down to the bottom um, of the uh, league because really in most years you wouldn't expect them to be anywhere near the Mariners so um, stats most goals conceded 55 um, I had I when I was doing some digging on the Mariners guys I noticed that they are an affiliated club of uh, Sheffield United which um, I didn't know this <laughs> they are a, a, a long uh, long lost sister club of Sheffield United who have some shares in them so I thought that was quite interesting uh, I don't know if Damo's ever, Damo's never let, let me know about that one but uh, yeah that's uh, Jesse Jesse I think they've also got a relationship with Everton and also with Harry Redknapp as well which nothing I think has come off those relationships either so yeah just some polygamy that's just not really working out there for, for the well, it's a real long island iced tea kind of cocktail that one isn't it Harry Redknapp Everton and <laughs> Sheffield United Jeez. Um, but yeah, that's really everything from the Mariners. I, I re- I'd really want to sort of be able to add a, a bit more guys. But I mean, like I mentioned Tommy all before, um, I don't think he had much of an impact. I know it's difficult in a team that's going backwards a lot of the time, but uh, I'd be more interested to hear some of your thoughts, guys. I mean, what, what, what can they do to actually climb themselves out of the um, the bottom of this uh, this well that they seem to have found themselves in? 
It's got to be got to be a new owner, and it and it has to be like keeping the likes of um, Alan Stajic, I think, as well. I you know he's a, he's a quality manager. You know, been a bit unfortunate in in some of the um, some of the incidences he's been involved in um, with his departure from the Matildas. Um, I know that's that's sort of still ongoing as well in terms of clearing his name there or, or otherwise. Um, but whatever the case may be, he's 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 a good manager. They need to keep him there, and they need to just as as a lot of the A League clubs will need to do next season. They just need to keep these uh, young players and give them time and, and develop them in in a decent setup, and and hopefully. Uh, things will follow. Good things will follow. I feel like we we've just had the same conversation as what we had twelve months ago with with the Mariners, though. Like, it's a bit um bit of, a bit of a sense of deja vu for me. I think um this is another year where the the Mariners have had a poor season, and uh, I can't remember. Yeah, they finished last uh, last last season as well. There has been that talk of moving them to Canberra, which I'm 100% against. Um, but at the same time, I think they, they really do need a, a big personality to come in and, I guess, to stop the rot there because there is something something pretty rotten about that football club um, at the moment. And, yeah, there are some problems with, with the ownership and, the I guess, the, the commitment to the um, to the playing group. But ultimately, it's it's still the, the 11 players on the pitch, the substitutes and the manager. They're the ones that get the results, though, and... I don't know. How, how do you change up? Uh, how do you change that culture when there, there has already been a pretty massive change out in in players and uh, and and manager in the last um, twelve to uh, fourteen months? Though I'm really at a bit of a loss for for how the Mariners fix this. And they, like I said, they I think they just need a a big personality that's going to come in, and, and whether or not that is actually Stadge that's going to be able to do that, I, I'm not convinced. I guess at this point. Well, we should move on then. Um, in that case, boys, uh, to the raw. Um, so uh, after four seasons of John Aloisi playing an indiscernible style of football, uh, we get Robbie Fowler, who had everything set up for success and basically had carte blanche to pick the team, inexplicably change the location of the bench, change the walkout music and just be a generally abrasive bully. But at least he had a style of football. It wasn't the prettiest, but it was effective. And he stemmed the goals that they conceded in the season before uh, and set the team up to challenge for finals. But then when he didn't come back and Warren Moon stepped in, uh, he continued that work that Robbie Fowler had set up and ended up taking the team to finals for a fourth-place finish after finishing ninth in the season before, which was a pretty good result, you have to say. What made their season? I think that defensive solidity on-field certainly made their season and, and the shift to a, a back three and a more possession-based style was effective. No matter what the, the fans, including myself, say about you know how, how nice it is to watch or otherwise, it'll be interesting to see what Warren Moon does with them next season because it seemed like he was tweaking a little bit of what Robbie Fowler did and more sort of attacking uh, direct possession rather than just pure, pure possession and, and defensive structure. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. But I think that was the thing that really got them through did they overachieve or underachieve? I think you have to say they overachieved considering they finished ninth the season before, considering the state the club was in. So I've given them a B. They got uh, into Asian Champions League qualification uh, by default um, because Wellington uh, in third was ineligible. So, uh, you know. Do you fault? <laughs> two greatest words in the English language. Um, <laughs> That's so- good Simpsons shout out from you, got me. <laughs> It's about the only reference that I know. Um, so, whose stocks are rising? Warren Moon's, I think, are, are rising. He's, he's got a big opportunity as a local manager with some talent to um, 
do what he can do at the club next season. I would even say Scotty Mack. Uh, for an old boy who came in from Western United, I don't think the fans really expected much of him and we were a bit perplexed at the signing of Scotty Mack. Um, but he's he's done really, really well. Um, and for his age, uh, you know, he works well in the Robbie Fowler system, but even then under under Warren Moon, he was utilised quite well as well. So be good to see him stay at the club and, and contribute a bit more next season. Uh, stocks are falling Robbie Fowler, like a uni apartment in a pandemic, his values really, really dropped off. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, good good riddance. What do they need for next season? They, they need to keep some of the team together, like every every time. I think this applies to every team. But, you know, we had we had some good players coming towards the back. Uh, the, you know, Kiwi Matty, uh, Matty Rudenton um, and Danny Kim um, were good additions. So it would be good to get Danny Kim on a per- permanent deal. He was just on loan um, from one of the local Queensland NPL sides. Jay O'Shea I thought was very underrated be good to keep him around i don't know actually what's happening with him and even Corey brown he, he won't go anywhere now but um he looked decent since coming back as well so keep keep the squad together i think and um you know particularly keep the likes of dylan wenzel halls those young local players um are the ones you want to build around for next season so um why don't we why don't we move on then boys uh to adelaide united sorry i do want to say something about brisbane Royal yeah Ford sorry go on, on go on and and it's um like objectively looking at Brisbane's finish, right? They they had the second least goals scored, and they had the second best uh, defense in the league, which is is pretty sort of weird when you throw those two things together. And they finished fourth, right? Like um, I, I would have thought you would have been a little bit more positive about that, but like there is sort of this weird um sort of negative smell around Brisbane at the moment and I, I guess when you're you're a fan and you're 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 following them week in week out it's sort of a little bit hard to hard to see past that but it's hard I'm, to I'm feel t- good about things when there's all this shit going on off the field like with the yeah. manager and you know we've had issues with the backeries at the club for for years and you know wishing yep. that the club would get sold to um I know know who wants to be more hands-on and and you know mm. open up the wallet a little bit I know there's a salary cap but I mean they could do more with it. And, and, and I mean, let's just talk about the management as well while we're there. Like, I mean, you know, there, there've been all of these things happening with the club over the years, like, mm. you know, the, the non-payment of players, they weren't paying super They at the moment they're in the, the, the throes of a big argument with the local council, the Logan city council, you know, there's, there's all these issues over fees and stuff like that. They're in a dispute there, you know, they're, they're in this dispute with Robbie Fowler. Um, you know, surely, you know, as much as we'd like to hate on Robbie Fowler, there are two sides to that story. And we like to hate on the backeries, but more and more, you know, you just see that, um, like the likes of David Pure and and others in in the management of the club as well, um, they're, they're they're becoming a common denominator there. And I'm not I'm not saying it's definitely their their fault because there's a lot of it that's still uh, unraveling. But what I will say is they are becoming a common denominator in all of this. Now, fair mate, uh, fair point, mate. I can understand that that's uh, really frustrating when you're you're following that week in week out. All right, mate, sorry, on to uh, Adelaide uh, United, though, uh, the final team we're going to be looking at. They started out uh, pretty pom- pretty promising after uh, last season's fourth place finish. Um, started out pretty promising, pretty mediocre uh, f- uh, middle, but actually finished the season pretty strongly, though. Um, and I thought they would have been a pretty decent addition to the finals, to be to be perfectly honest, um, probably taking maybe Perth's spot. What, what let them down, though, was they had uh, the, the second worst... Uh, 
goals conceded in the league and five worse than um, the, the Vuck and only worse than Central Coast. So uh, fixing up the defence uh, for next season, I think is going to be a big priority. And and it's, I remember at the time, I think it was last week on the pod, we were talking about how I was personally a bit, uh, I raised an eyebrow at uh, Michael Jacobson making the, the, the A-League team of the season. And to see that he was in this Adelaide team that conceded so many bloody goals, um, I guess um, now, now I could put more of a, a sense of why I had that sort of uh, funny feeling in my, in my bones at the time when I first read that. Did they overachieve or underachieve? Well, look, they they won the Adelaide Cup, so they, they won some silverware, so no one can take that away from them. Um, they played plenty of youth throughout the year, which I think is a massive win for them. And in some ways, I guess the, the results that they got didn't necessarily match the positives of, of this season. Um, Riley McRae was obviously massive for them, and I've already talked about that. Um, so, look, I'm, I'm going to give them a B-. minus. Those, um, like I said, they, they won a trophy, unearthed a bunch of great young players, but a disappointing league position, I think, for them. The Specifically, the emergence of uh, Luis uh, Dorigo, Lachlan Brook, Al-Hassan Torre, Mo Torre, Pacific, uh, Nyongabiri, and Taras Gamolka. Uh, I think there's, what, seven, seven players, six players? And all of those, I think, have got the potential to be um, pretty solid A-League players into the future. So I think the future looks bright for Adelaide. And and whilst I, I don't necessarily think that... Um, sorry, I'll come back to that point. Um, Cal Viet, uh, he did... Uh, I think a really good job for them in the in the post lockdown, and so I think uh, Adelaide do a good job. I think to uh, to appoint him long term. Um, in terms of the future, though, and for next season, um, this is the point that I was sort of building towards uh, was that I think um, next season for Adelaide is probably going to be a, another building season, and I think if they're able to give more opportunities to to the likes of Dorigo, Brook, the Toro brothers, um, etc., I, I think. They're not necessarily building for next season. I actually think they're building for the season after that where some of these young players will be onto their third or fourth year in the A-League and that is when they can really give the the league a red-hot go. Um, I think if they're able to hold on to McGree as well, um, that will obviously um, be a a big defining moment for, for their season next year. Look, in terms of a bit of trivia for you, but though, boys, before we move on, though, probably uh, one of the funnier moments for me out of this season was Isaac Richards there. I think he was the reserve or maybe even third third string goalkeeper. Um, he left mid-season to, to go get punched in the face for a living um, and doing MMA. So, um, yeah, pr- pretty, uh, I guess, uh, a strange season for Adelaide fans. But ultimately, hey, they won a trophy and they blooded a whole bunch of young players. So uh, generally a positive season for them, I think, though. All right, then. Well, let's now take a quick look ahead to the 2021 A-League season. So, boys, uh, the 2021 A-League season um, is tentatively set down to start in December of this year. Uh, No idea how that fits into the winter switch, but uh, there's been a lot of talk that that's by no means for sure and by no means locked in. Does anyone know when next season is going to start because that's that's a that's a critical starting point when we're discussing next season mate draw draw a date out of a hat at the moment it could be anywhere between what like december this year through to what april or may next season who knows at this point we've got a range we've got a range of dates there could be (laughs) and another unfolding um sort of story i guess that's happening at the moment uh is that over 70 a-league contracts expired on the 31st of august um, and that was due to the um, collective bargaining agreement being extended to the 31 31st of august to accommodate that um post uh covid lockdown uh end to the season so that 
um, contractually everything could get done for um, the 2019-2020 season. But now there's obviously going to be a, uh, a salary cap reduction um, as a result, as a direct result of the broadcast deal terms being renegotiated down as a result of COVID and and combine that with the um, the very long and uncertain off-season that we're going to have. Like how, how are some of these clubs actually going to hold on to their players? Yeah, I think we're already starting to see a bit of an exodus from the league. Like we've mentioned some of the players that are potential or that have already left. Uh, I think a lot of them were probably marquee players or, or mid-tier players, but uh, I think yeah, there, there's going to be a lot of players that are going to be um that probably would have we would have just considered maybe solid A-league players that um that I think the league might struggle to hold on to. I I, th- I know there's been some uh some talk about um either doing a 30% pay cut across the league or or some players getting a pay cut of maybe more than 30% and some players not getting any pay cut at all and so i think it's um look it's it's a wild um, a wild time for a league players at the moment and i feel for the i guess for the players a little bit as well cuz this is their livelihood right and imagine being told oh yeah colby sorry need you to take a 30% pay cut on uh, on on monday and, and even then don't even don't even know if we're going to keep you on for next season well or i not. mean yeah that is that is something that it that is happening um, to to people in the general workforce as well obviously in the coronavirus True, yeah. pandemic people are being stood down people are being asked to work on reduced days and reduced pay and, and all the rest of that so that that is a reality reality that that um you know we, we can't deny affects footballers as well but due to the nature of um you know the leagues already having a, a break in the off season like well, some of these guys are going to have to go and work in coffee shops like yes some of the foreigners can go home and um and or or you know some of the more established a-league players um like your dimi petratos and, and the likes can go and play in saudi arabia for you know for the similar or, or bigger money but you know some of the, like you were saying uh, you mentioned about the just solid a-league players i, I don't know what these guys are going to do in, in in the break my, my feeling here is that the answer kind of is in what you were mentioning before about the um the ownership so we're going to lose undoubtedly a lot of foreign players, uh, especially when you've got a big gap between the um, this end of this league and the start of the next one. Um, but I actually think the answer is in uh, p- people that do have money and who are invested in Australian football, they need to be pouring money into clubs like the Roar and, and these other clubs um, like the Mariners because what we want to see is academies... Um, pumping out good players um, good Australian and bringing obviously some Kiwi players into that as well and you and you will get a really really good um, base of talent here sure the product might go backwards a little bit at first because you won't have as many marquee signings but the question is here in Australia is do marquee signings necessarily bring as many people to the games or is it more about going to see a player that was brought up in your backyard and um, was a Sydney FC or a Western Sydney Wanderers Academy prospect, and now they're they're killing it on the big stages. You've seen we've seen what's happened with Kakachi. Is the answer now if we can't bring these players in or hold on to them so much, the foreign players? Is it more? Let's just celebrate some of the youth coming through, and maybe as I said, the product might go backwards a little bit for a while, but those players will get better. So I think the money needs to go into the academies uh, as opposed to the clubs. I don't think we're going to be able to hold players um, if you're cutting their salaries so much, especially if they're foreign players, they're going to want to go home. So I think for me, just focus more on the academies, but that's just my take. Yeah, that's going to be a big silver lining, I think, Jesse. And I think we're going to be 
you know, the, the league is going to be forced into uh, answering that question sooner rather than later. So whenever this league does get started back up, uh, I think it is going to be with a much more local focus with, with local managers pretty much across the board now um, and and a lot of local players, which I guess is a great story as well. And it's just it, – and like the winter switch that was sort of forced upon the league – earlier than it would have wanted to necessarily move to it, um, we're going to see it anyway. And I actually think that's quite exciting. Um, but could this also um, accelerate uh, a new uh, sort of TV deal or the um, the FFA TV, this on-demand streaming that's been long talked about as well? Boys, what, what are your thoughts there, Tommy? Yeah, um, I guess I think there's a lot of people that are that want or would prefer FFA TV to, to sort of take over for, for next season. But I guess the... The numbers have to stack up as well for for the A League, and um, I guess that's that's the big question mark over this. Um, Damo's sort of given us a, a bit of a heads up about how much it costs uh, to um, to put all of that production in place for 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 running your own production of a of a league, and and it's expensive. And I guess um, I mean there's going to be people in in A League headquarters who are going to be running the numbers and trying to make it work, but uh, I guess we're we're going to have to see some some inventive solutions that are going to be coming to the fore over the next um over the next six plus months um mentioned before about fox as well but hyundai have also walked away for from the next season as well so we're going to have to look for a, a new naming rights uh sponsor for for the league as well i mean it, it could turn out that we find someone with just as deeper products deep deeper pockets as hyundai but i guess it's another another thing that the a league needs to sort out though in the meantime so so yeah, I guess the the other thing that's sort of swirled around, and I think a lot of people have have only sort of given it sort of semi serious consideration, is whether or not Optus are going to step in as well. And I think a lot of people would love that if it happened, but I really don't think it's gonna happen. Um, if if it's going to ever happen, it'll be for this season. Otherwise, yeah, I can't see it happening for for, for years and years down the track. Well, Jono from Optus has already put the uh, put the kibosh on that, Tommy. So look, I don't think that one's <laughs> happening. Um, he also he didn't say it wasn't going to happen though. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> exactly. And boys, for next season, if and when it gets started, uh, what's what's one change that you'd like to see in the competition next season? For me, it's uh, playing in appropriately sized stadiums. No more playing out of Marvel Stadium. No more GHBA. No more Telstra Stadium. I assume that's what the big big stadium is uh, is called in Sydney. But yeah, get get us playing uh, out of out of Redcliffe or, or Dolphin Stadium in in Brisbane and and and. Uh, We've seen that when when clubs have gone to some of these smaller stadiums that they've had um, that they've had awesome uh, awesome atmospheres, and I think that that can go a long way to sort of rebuilding some of the atmosphere um, around A League games in, in the future. And I'll just echo what I said before about the academy. I I, I, would, I would happily see more players um, who are coming through these club academies. I'd be I'd be happy to watch more games just based on seeing some up and coming talent. Um, and that also extends to the managers. I think there's an obsession with having uh, foreign managers, and sure, they bring a lot to the league. Um, and I don't say I'm not saying that they, we shouldn't bring them in, but I think that there should also be managers who are not just aspiring to do one season in the A League and then bugger off. I'd like to see more of them who actually care about the A League and actually want to spend two or three seasons here. And if they get a European move on the back of that from merit, then sure, we'll, we'll, we'll all 
um, applaud and, and and they'll go with our best wishes. But I, I don't like this kind of like what we were talking before about the Popovich stuff. I don't like this kind of like you're just starting to build something and all of a sudden you just bugger off. It, it, it just it just adds to this idea that the league is just a meme and, and I think we need to take it a bit more seriously. So I'd like to see a bit more of that. All right, boys. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, if you're still with us, thanks again for listening. Uh, and don't forget to uh, stay subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or if you get your podcasts. Uh, you can also subscribe to our channel on YouTube uh, for match reviews and more. Uh, and More Than A Game is also on Twitter and Facebook. Find us at More Than A Game Podcast on Facebook or at MTAG Podcast on Twitter. Or you can always slide into our emails at mtagpodcast at gmail.com. Next up, the Premier League 2021 season preview. In the meantime, enjoy the football.